Hi, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. You know what's really ironic, Jane? What? Is when we recorded last Sunday, we were like, they haven't canceled school yet. We're still going to work. And, but it was like so shortly after that. Yeah, <laughs> it was when we were recording our like picking what we were going to ask each other, picking our topics that we found out that school was closed. So we did know, but my oh my... How things have changed in the span of eight short, short days. The last time we recorded feels like months ago. I feel like I'm a different person. (laughs) I've been through so much. And I know we're all going through it. But like, just like, I know how you are. I'm not going to ask how you are. I've been with you every day. (laughs) Not that we're not normally (laughs) together every day. But like in a new type of way. But like, let's just recap since we last recorded so we finished recording the previous episode episode 52 and that was on, on a sunday, sunday yeah. on a sunday and then right after that we found out that they were going to close the schools but we didn't know when that night we found out that they were closing the schools between march 16th to april 20th next day <laughs> i get an email that i still have to go in because i am a school aide so I do that on Tuesday, and you and our other roommate are like, we're going to go back to Pennsylvania. Yeah. So, But then I get to school, and they're like, take your sick days. Don't be here. Yeah. Like, There's nothing for you to do because I'm an aide. I'm not a teacher. So I left. I took my sick days. We all came back to Pennsylvania, got all of our... We were like, should we stay here? Do we go back to New York? Like drama with like not drama but like trying to figure that out the tough decisions being yeah. made the being pulled back and forth so then we're like we weren't prepared to be here for a long time no so i was like i didn't want to stay in pennsylvania but my mom really wanted me to and you really wanted me to and it felt like it was becoming the right thing to do because there are a lot of cases mm-hmm. in new york so i was like okay but we have to go back and get our stuff so friday we <laughs> go back to new york after leaving new york on tuesday afternoon we go back to new york and we are like okay we'll hang out here a couple of days we'll hang out until like Monday. We won't leave the apartment. Like, yeah. we have plenty of food. Um, we'll pack up all of our stuff, and then we'll go. And don't you know, on Friday night, our other roommate finds bed bugs. And so, at one in the morning on Saturday, <laughs> it becomes clear that we now have to leave that afternoon and come back to Pennsylvania for our two-week quarantine. So, you two went to bed. I stayed up packing, like, all night and then got up at nine and, like, did some stuff in the apartment and we left at three o'clock and we are not going back to the apartment for at least two weeks. <laughs> like, it literally, like... We've, We've been were- told to file for unemployment. Yeah, yeah. which has been hard because everyone in New York is filing for unemployment. So the yeah. website keeps crashing. But that's something I need to do. But it's just so funny because, like, so much stuff just keeps coming up. With- yeah. <laughs> it's literally like our plans keep drastically changing so often. So frequently. And it's so stressful and, like, anxiety inducing and it's making everybody just so on edge and emotional and it literally when we were driving back to new york on friday we said as a group like okay don't stress about the future we're just gonna think about our lives 36 hours at a time (laughs) 
And then the next morning, Sarah comes into my room and I'm having a panic attack. And, sobbing. and she goes, it's going to be okay. We just have to take our lives one hour at a time. And I was like, less than 12 hours have gone by. And it went from 36 hours to one. <laughs> it's true that's how crazy everything has been and it's like i am like i know everyone's going through stuff right now like everybody has crazy things happening to them constantly a lot is changing all of the time but i just feel like i have lived i said to jane i feel like i have gone through more in the last week than i've gone through in the last year or most yeah. or the average person would go through in a year yeah it's crazy it's so insane so I'm sure lots of people have crazy stories out there. I'm sure lots of people have crazy stuff going on. But this is what's going on in our life. It's like, it's unbelievable. Now we're kind of like, okay, I guess we'll hunker down here. We've ordered lots of puzzles. We're like, you know, we're, this is only our second full day yeah. in Pennsylvania. But it's it's really nuts. It's it's like, it's insane. I just have no, I have no words to express what has been happening and the, the fact that all of that happened in the week span of like we haven't even recorded an episode yet like normally i have maybe one thing to tell you and that like be like how are you and now it's like everything's going on yeah it's really nuts which is why we're drinking in the middle of the day because there are no rules saying, anymore yeah, we keep saying like our decisions don't have to make sense there's nowhere we have to be there's not no, like no so like why not do the thing that makes you immediately happy in the moment if you can like right and yet last night jane was saying she was like i feel like we've given ourselves small menial tasks to do and we're still gonna fail at doing those because we're gonna keep saying that we have all the time in the world which is true yeah like i really do want to make a list of all the even small stuff i want to do like you want to do that mask we'll make yeah. sure that you do your mask you know exactly. i need to touch up my hair i want to make sure that we do that so I don't just fall into the, I don't have to do anything. And then five <laughs> weeks go by where I've done literally nothing. Yeah, and none of it has gotten done. Yeah, and I feel even even lazier. Yeah. Um, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Jane did a Merge Dragons event. <laughs> Took a lot of my mental capacity. <laughs> I'm sure. You seemed very tired. So we're still accomplishing things, maybe. Yeah. Things that make us happy. Things that make us happy. I'm really happy Animal Crossing is here for me. I don't know if I'd be able to get through this without Animal Crossing. I'm glad you have it. Thank you. Thank you. Jane doesn't know what Animal Crossing is, so I keep being like, oh, this raccoon. And she's like, what? <laughs> and it just sounds like she's, like, every now and then, like, characters in the game will talk. And to me, it just sounds like the the characters from Spy Kids, the, like, flute minions. Oh, that is what they sound like. <laughs> that is exactly what they sound like. That's really funny. Um, it's a good time. We're enjoying. We're we're enjoying ourselves as so the best we can. As the be, the best we can. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, happy to be in a safe place and like be okay. Like I I know yeah. I'm in a safe place and I know yeah. I'm like with people who I like trust and care about. Yeah, and we'll and, take care of you. Yeah, yeah, and I like I know I'm not in any immediate danger, but just like you know, it's a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. It is absolutely a lot. Um, especially when you go on the news and they keep saying it's just going to keep getting worse, mm -hmm. which is really unfortunate. So here's to hoping it doesn't get much worse. Yeah. That we can stay safe. Our college today just announced that they're postponing graduation and they're going online for the rest of the semester, which I hear is happening in a lot of schools. So if you're a person that's in school and your school plans have changed, like our heart goes out to you. That's yeah, really, that really hard. And I can't imagine what that's like. Um, but you know, it's always important. One of our friends who's still in college posted like, I know this is the right decision because I know this is the decision that will keep us safe. And mm -hmm. you just have to remember that like safety really does come first. 
Yeah. Um, which is a lesson I had to learn this week that, like, I have to prioritize safety over freedom and safety over comfort right now. Yeah. Which is really hard to do. But it's something you have to have to cope with. Yeah. So. We had to lecture people in our building. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. There were people throwing a party in our courtyard. And the next day, they were like, do we bother you? The guy asked, the guy that lives in our building, who, like, threw the party, asked me. And I was like, honestly, if and it was any other time, like, it was the middle of the summer, nice day, wanted to have a party in the courtyard. Friday night, yeah. Friday night, like. I probably wouldn't have thought anything of it. But the fact that you're doing this is dangerous. Like, you are gathering in a place where there are immunocompromised people. We have senior citizens that live in our building with health problems that we know about. Yeah. It's unsafe. And he was like, well, I vouched for them. I'm like, I don't care if they vouch for you. The coronavirus isn't going to look at your friends and be like, oh, well, he vouched for them. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, it's still dangerous. So please, please, please. Like... I know I've been pushing back with the social distancing thing a lot, but it really is important. It's not like I'm going to roll up to a rager, you know, like (laughs) you need, like you need to, you need to do it not just for you and the people immediately in your life, but the people who are maybe a little distant from your life, but still are very much at risk because of this flu, you know, exactly. Even if you don't know anybody who immediately need would need to be hospitalized, I bet, you know, someone on the outskirts of your life who could, who would really suffer because of this. So please do what you have to do. Yeah. Find some fun stuff. There's been the number of like programs that have been rolled out because of this, like Netflix's watch party thing. Like Mm -hmm. there's an amazing amount of resources out there of ways to stimulate yourself and still connect with people from home. Yeah. Like, I was playing Animal Crossing with um, one of my closest friends last night. Like, because you can visit each other's towns. It's like, no, I'm not with him, you know. I'm not seeing him, but we're still doing something together. Yeah. So, <laughs> Jane and I did get yelled at by, by our boss, though, which was so funny because we had a conference call on Friday. <laughs> like, right as we got into New York. This is before we knew about the bed bugs. And we were sitting in my room, and we were like, oh, we've had this conference call. We'll just be on it together. And we get on the call, and our boss is like, that's not social distancing. Stop. And he, like, didn't realize that we live together. And I was like, no, 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 no. We live together. Yeah. It's like, did you want us to comp- get into this conference call in our own separate bedrooms, pretend that we're not talking? Like, <laughs> Sarah never met her. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know her. It was pretty funny. Before I forget to mention it, before we do all of this, I also want to mention that last week we recorded our 52nd episode, which means it's been a year, and I didn't even mention it, and we did it. We did it for a year, a whole year. There's just been so much going on that, like, our anniversary was missed, but here it is. And is today Ravenclaw Day? It is. It I is. Think today is Ravenclaw Day. I think it's March 23rd. Which wasn't that the first day we recorded? No, we recorded our first episode came out on National Hufflepuff Day on the 20th. Oh. And then it went, the 20th was Hufflepuff Day. Maybe I did miss it. The 21st, no, the 21st was Slytherin Day. The 22nd was was Gryffindor Day. And today's National Ravenclaw Day. Mm-hmm. That's always a good way to remember it. Because um, the first episode came out on National Hufflepuff Day and the second episode came out on National Ravenclaw Day. Mm. how exciting but it's been a whole year i wanted to say congrats to you this was a year ago oh she did a ravenclaw look on snapchat i I should have done a ravenclaw makeup look today no one would see it but i'd know (laughs) maybe i'll go put on my no one saw this i can go get my ravenclaw blanket i can fix this i can honor the rest of the day i didn't even notice wow what a life jane what a life what a life 
think I think I left my Ravenclaw sweatshirt in New York. Rest in peace. You'll be okay. No, I won't. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to mention it, like that it's been a year. Yeah. Have you had a favorite a favorite topic, favorite episode? I really liked the Black Knight satellite. That was my favorite topic to cover. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know what my favorite was. I've had a lot of really good ones that I have like really enjoyed. I like I've, I've had so many that I really enjoyed listening to you talk about. Yeah. I think my favorite. Phew, I'm fine. I think my favorite one to talk about, even though this was only episode six, is always going to be the bird truthers. <laughs> I was going to say that might be my favorite thing you've talked about. It was so nuts. <laughs> I'll never hear anything that nuts again. I really, they have like really cute merch and I really, <laughs> they have a really cute shirt that I want. Oh boy. Anyway, happy one year anniversary. I'm glad that we did this and we are still doing it. Me too. Yay. So Jane, are you ready to tell me about Something completely separate, <laughs> maritime law. Yes. Okay. This is actually a really interesting thing to learn about, I thought. So maritime law is also known as admiralty law, and it's a body of laws, and it's more often referred to as conventions mm-hmm. and treaties that govern private maritime business and other nautical matters, such as shipping or offenses that occur in open water. Okay. Now, in most developed countries, maritime law follows a separate code and is an is independent jurisdiction from national laws uh-huh and it's really overseed by this group called the imo the international maritime organization okay that is um run through the un and it, it ensures that existing international maritime conventions are kept up to date and develops new agreements when the situation calls for it now the imo is a really cool organization that i learned a lot about for this and mm-hmm. I, I like them. They're chill. They have issued numerous conventions that can be enforced by the navies and coast guards of countries that have signed treaties which outline those rules. Mm-hmm. Maritime law is most often used for insurance claims relating to ships and cargo and civil matters between ship owners, seamen, passengers, and piracy mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah. I feel like when you asked me about maritime law, we were thinking about like crimes that happen on international waters and i'll i'll get there okay the imo doesn't deal with that as much okay. um they mostly deal with like just like practices for shipments and mm-hmm. travel um that yeah. are just best for all involved yeah the conventions and rules are regularly amended to keep up with new business practices and technologies maritime law also regulates registration, licensing, inspection procedures, shipping contracts, and things like that. Okay. They do a lot. They're a really cool organization. They were established in 1948 as the Intergovernmental Maritime Consultative Organization. The conventions were established in 1958, and the name was changed to the International Maritime Organization, IMO, in 1982. Okay. But it's the same group. Okay. Um, their first article of their conventions is quote article a1 to provide machinery for cooperation among governments in the fields of governmental regulations and practices relating to technical matters of all kinds affecting shipping engaged in international trade to encourage and facilitate the general adoption of the highest practicable standards in matters concerning maritime safety efficiency of navigation and prevention and control of marine pollution from ships okay Yes. I think I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically just like a group from the UN that's helping all of the countries of the world that have agreed to participate, which is a lot. Okay. and But then what happens to the countries that don't agree to participate? Are you going to get there? Or is it like, no rules, you know? 
I don't have to listen to your rules. I don't have to follow this sign because I don't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, let me let me see. How many countries are there in the world? I don't know. 180. Um, 195. Well, there are 174 countries that are like have are part of the IMO. Okay. So that's a lot. I want. I bet like there's a lot of landlocked countries that don't do anything. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about landlocked. Um, but I mean, they still have to like ship things to other continents. Yeah. So I'm sure there are a lot of landlocked countries that still participate for those yeah. reasons. Um, All right, well, we don't have to worry And there are some countries that are to. not as developed and... True. Um, I'm sure barely... They have very small populations. Right. Don't have a lot of exports. Exactly. All right. Well, we can worry about um, it later. Yeah, well, I don't Not have worry any, about it at all. I don't, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that right now. Uh, I will look into the, that shortly. Um, it doesn't say this in that little, like, A1 article, but it is also important to note that... The IMO also deals with administrative and legal matters relating to the things in Article 8.1. Okay. Um, the IMO has three core conventions. The International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea. Ooh. The International Convention for the Prevention of Pollution from Ships. Oh, that's good. And the International Convention on Standards of Training, Certification, and Watchkeeping for Seafarers. Okay. As I said before, there are 174 IMO members who are representatives of the governments of their individual countries. Mm-hmm. And their job is to make sure that their local governments are enforcing the provisions of the IMO conventions as far as their ships are concerned and to set the penalties for infringements of the conventions. Right, the okay. Conventions. So really, like, the person from your country that is part of the IMO, like, they're technically representing you, but they're also, like, in charge of keeping your country following the rules. Right, yes. Um, the IMO website actually has a lot of useful information that is super relevant for news, for people who are on the oceans frequently, but also just, like, information about the IMO. Today, there's an article posted on their, they have, like, a hot topic section on their main page, oh. and the first thing is shipping procedures in the time of COVID-19, like, what's going on oh, with, yeah, 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 boats in the water and how things should be handled and, like, what's the safest way to go about things right now. Right. There's also an article at the top of the page that's about the latest research on pollution and ways for ships to reduce their environmental impact yeah. on the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, I think they're really cool and they stand for, like, protection of people and the environment. Yeah, which is that's great. Important. Um, there's a code of ethics that they have on their website with a list of values to be upheld. And those values are independence, loyalty, impartiality, integrity, accountability, and respect for human rights. Cool. We love all those things. I know. And there's also a list of principles for all IMO personnel to follow. And they mostly outline a set of things that are against the rules. And those are conflict of interest, abuse of authority, bribes, um, maritime conventions from any organization other than the IMO. Like if some random group is like, I've made sea laws now. And right. Like don't listen to the, listen to the IMO laws. Gotcha. Um, breaches of confidentiality and taking advantage of your position. Oh. Yeah. It's, it's everything cool. I read about this, I was like, these guys are great. Yeah. Um, thank you for doing what you do. Yeah. 
The first thing the IMO did when they were created was to create a new version of the International Convention for the Safety of Life at Sea, okay. SOLAS, which is considered the most important of all of the treaties dealing with maritime safety. Mm-hmm. They completed this treaty in 1960, and but they've, again, been amending it. Like That's one of the things that I think is so great about the IMO is that they're constantly changing their rules to do mm-hmm. to make sure that they're doing what's best, which is something that I feel like America could take note about because our Constitution is supposed to be a living document uh, with amendments and (laughs) you're not wrong and everybody's always acting like we have an amendment that guarantees this like but again amendments right right things can change second amendment uh amongst others yeah after they established the safety treaty they started working on regulating facilitation of international maritime traffic, load lines, and the carriage of dangerous goods. Like, they were really mostly focused on, like, keeping everybody safe. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, like, on the ocean. But then in the 1960s, I will preface this by saying that the IMO still maintains to this day that its most important responsibility is safety of life at sea. Mm-hmm. However, um, in the 1960s, a huge issue kind of came to the forefront that is something that's, this, I would say the second biggest thing they deal with, and that's pollution. Um, what happened was there was a lot of growth in the amount of oil that was being transported by sea Yes, uh, in the 60s, and the size of oil tankers was getting really huge. And in 1967, the Torrey Canyon disaster spilled 120,000 tons of oil, Ugh. and the IMO realized that this was something they were going to have to deal with. Yeah. So... In the next few years, the IMO introduced a series of measures designed to prevent tanker accidents and to minimize their consequences. And they've also been dealing with threats to the environment that tankers pose that we don't even think about. Yeah. Like, we think mostly about oil spills, and we're really worried about oil spills. And technically, oil spills are horrible yes. for, like, sea life and pollution. But what we don't even think about, which happens far more frequently, and that is actually a much larger issue than oil spills is routine things that oil tankers do just to remain operational. Like, when they clean out their oil cargo tanks, they dump a bunch of excess oil into the ocean just from doing that. Um, When they dispose of engine room waste, that regularly is just dumped into the ocean. Like, Uh, yeah, these are things that happen regularly and far more often than oil spills, and because of that, it creates a much larger issue. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of overlooked, and the IMO is really working on ways to update oil tankers to try and like make them work better because you can't just be like okay no more oil tankers because like you can't just shut down right oil shipments right, right away like right. the world still relies on them right which we should try and change in the 1970s they initiated a global search and rescue system which mostly what this did was updated and improved radio and communication system systems between ships mm-hmm In 1988, the Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, GMDSS, was initiated. And this, I don't even totally get how it works. It was slowly phased in starting in 1992. And as of 1999, it is fully operational. And I think it's just like an SOS signal that ships send out Mm -hmm. if they're like in major distress. Okay. That's sent automatically. So you don't have to do it yourself. If a ship is in distress anywhere in the world, there is a... A guarantee that there will be some sort of virtual signal that will be sent out, even if the cruise ship do not have time to radio for help, as the message will already be transmitting. Okay. Which I 
want to know more details about how that works like from country to country like who gets that signal who yeah. wants that to go it probably is just any um imo ship has to yeah. have it so then it's anybody within the imo mm-hmm. as safety and environmental needs become apparent the imo is constantly amending its conventions and working to provide solutions they're really on top like i i was very impressed by their website and in the 2000s they worked a lot on environmental issues and maritime security. Those are the two biggest issues that they're mm-hmm. dealing with right now. They deal with like other things, like as I mentioned before, like insurance stuff and licensing, but those are not yeah. their biggest issues. So that's really everything to do with the International Maritime Organization that is okay. technically in charge of quote unquote maritime law. Okay. I really went into that because you asked me to tell you about maritime law. But when you asked me that, my first thought was like, oh, you want to know, like, if you commit a crime, but you're on a boat. Yeah. Like, what happens with yes, that? Yes, that's, exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I want to know. And the IMO, like, didn't have really any, uh, didn't have much information on that type of scenario. So what we're talking about really there is law pertaining to international waters. Okay. So I have some information on that. Cool. So... International waters are defined as, well, if you start at the coastline Mm -hmm. and then you extend 12 miles out, all water up until that point is known as territorial waters. Okay. So that belongs to the country that it's closest to. Okay. And within that border, the sovereign country has full rights to all things at and below the water surface. Anything beyond that is international waters. Okay. There's also this thing, though, called exclusive economic zones, Mm -hmm. which starts at the shoreline and goes out approximately 200 nautical miles. Okay. And anything within that area is your country's exclusive economic zone. And that means that other countries can legally sail through them, but it is illegal for them to extract any national any natural resources okay from that area so they couldn't someone from canada couldn't fish within 200 miles of 200 nautical miles of the american border not on a canadian ship like someone from from canada could move to america and go out on an american American ship ship, but a canadian ship couldn't come down to america and um fish and then go back okay they just gotta wait on their side of (laughs) <laughs> they're, you know, EEZs, as they're called, wait for the fish to swim to them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the, swish- the fish is emigrating, you know? <laughs> they're really lucky that Shark and Jaws didn't go out of their territory. <laughs> <laughs> I love Jaws. <laughs> Activity aboard any ship that is in international waters is under the legal jurisdiction of the vessel's country of origin. Okay. So if you're on a ship that came from America, like, it's not like you murdered someone, but, oh, I'm in the water. Like, you technically, like, are in America's territory because the right. ship itself is considered, like, America's property. Right. So you could be thrown in jail the second you get back to America. There was also a thing, though, called universal jurisdiction, mm-hmm. and that allows any country in the world to bring criminal charges regardless of nationality or where the crime took place. Um... And that really only happens, though, in cases of war crimes, genocide, and other very serious matters. Yeah. And I don't think, like, if you have somebody that you'd like to, like, bring um, charges against and they're in another country, I don't think there's that much you can do about it if that government is against you. But I feel like when you're using a case of universal jurisdiction, like... 
yeah. I think there's usually agreement about that because yeah. it's only for cases that are so bad right. and like crimes against humanity. Right. So I think there's not much like disagreement over things like that. Yes, definitely. But yeah, to answer your like that main question, like if you commit a crime, like I mean, I doubt there are many crimes that occur while you're swimming. Right. But again, I think that's a case of like what citizen you're a country of and if someone wants to bring charges against you. Okay, yeah. Like a government or a person or... Right. Yeah, you know. Right. Um, but whatever boat you're on, wherever that boat came from... Right. You have to follow the laws of that country. Okay. Makes sense. That yeah. Makes sense. And to close out on a fun fact, the 12 nautical mile territorial sea of the United States includes the Commonwealth of Puerto Rico, Guam, American Samoa, the U.S. Virgin Islands, and the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands. Oh. And any territory possessed um, by the United States, like gotcha. the 12-mile yeah. perimeter around that ocean, or around that land is ours. Oh. We could go fishing there. <laughs> yeah, we could fish there. <laughs> we could fish. <laughs> We won't. Uh, we won't. I hate fish, but we could. It's always good. I just want to know what my options are for when I get out of here. So. We can do anything we want. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That was super interesting. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate you explaining that. Now we know. Now I know that um, I'm trying to think of something that's like legal in another country, but not legal here. I feel um, like I'm... Um, oh, so like if I was only 18 and I got on a boat in England, a boat that belonged to England, I could drink because the boat belongs to England. Yes. Even if I took that boat all the way back to America? I think as long as you got on that boat in England. Yeah, it's an, it's a British boat. The second you crossed the, like, into America's waters. Yeah. Like, no. I think you're stop. still, I think you're still technically on the British boat, though. I had this conversation with someone when we were coming back from study abroad. They were like, if I'm getting on an Italian airplane to fly back to America and I can drink on that plane, I can drink in Italy, can I drink on the plane? I don't know how planes work in relation to all of this. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I made know, me think of it. I don't know if aviation laws, but I assume it's just a similar yeah. set situation where like the plane is an Italian plane. Yeah. I think, I think that's how it would work. Mm-hmm. I think if you were getting on a British cruise or whatever... And yeah. you're 18, and then you can drink in, at 18 there, yeah. then you can drink on the cruise until you get into the waters of a country that you can't, or until, whatever it is. I think, it's, I think it might just be until you get off, because, like, there, there's no one, like, waiting at that 12-mile area being like, are you following all our laws? Like, you're still on a British ship, right. and there's still that um, exclusive economic zones in which, like, a boat mm-hmm. can sail through as long as they're not disturbing the natural resources of right. that country's area. Like, right. They can do whatever they want on the boat. Right. As long as they're following that country's laws. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Of course. So today for Reddit, the middle segment, we're going to be talking about something that we actually shouldn't be doing right now, but my mom asked me about it. Oh. And that's handshakes. My mom wanted to know why do we shake hands and like where did that come from? So I'm going to tell you. Great. Archaeological artifacts show that handshaking has been around um since at least fifth century bc there are like ancient roman sculptures you know roman sculptures that Mm -hmm. show people shaking hands um on pots and 
frescoes. The, there's a gravestone that shows people shaking hands from 400 to 350 BCE. Mm-hmm. At least it doesn't. Know, we can't tell if they're shaking hands, but they are touching hands in this in a way that's reminiscent of a handshake. Yeah. So at least since fifth century BCE, at least. We believe that we shake hands because people used to carry swords. Um, and people would carry them in a case, often called a scabbard, on their left side, which means that they would draw their sword with their right hand. Because as we discussed last week, most people are right-handed, and a lot of people were, like, forced to be right-handed, even yeah. if they were biologically left-handed. Yeah. Um, so, shaking hands, which is traditionally done with your right hand, became a friendly greeting because it was proof that you came in peace and you weren't going to draw your weapon by offering your hand instead of withdrawing yeah. your weapon. Um, it's also a sign of trust that you believed the other person wasn't going to take their sword out to fight you as well. Um, handshakes are used in almost every country around the world. It's often used as a sign of respect, particularly in political meetings, like at the debates, everyone shakes their hand and it, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump famously did not shake hands at their debate. I wouldn't people, shake his hand either. Yeah, which most people saw as a sign of disrespect, which, whatever. Um, at, at sports mass, matches, it's a really big deal to shake hands. When they don't do it, it's normally criticized because it's yeah. not considered considered proper behavior. You know, it's considered very impolite. Yeah. Like I said, most countries use the handshake, but not every country does. Um, in Japan, they bow. And in some other Asian countries like Thailand, they do the namaste. Mm-hmm. Um, in France, you know, you might get the kisses on the cheek. I got that in Italy as well instead mm-hmm. of the handshake. So there are a lot of variations, but most places do do the handshake. But that is why we do it, to show that we're not holding a sword. Although now if someone approached me with a sword, I'd be like, that's really cool. (laughs) I wouldn't feel threatened. Well, now we see them as a cool thing. Back then it was like, oh, we're going to fight. Yeah, it's like, oh, we're going to die. (laughs) Now I'm like, cool sword. (laughs) So that's why we shake hands. Nice little fun fact for you. That is a fun fact. Yeah. All right, so. You asked me about soap. Which you should all be using regularly. Yes. Speaking of something else that we should be doing with something we should not be doing. Do not shake hands. Do use soap. So you asked me about soap. And lo and Mm -hmm. behold, there's a soaphistory.net. Amazing. (laughs) So thank you to them. According to Roman legend, this legend was written by Pliny the Elder. It's spelled (laughs) P-L-I-N-Y. I love old names. Same. Natural soap was first discovered, and it takes its name from a mountain called Sapo, where animals were sacrificed in (laughs) Rome. Rain used to wash the fat from the sacrificed animals, along with the wood ashes of the trees on the mountain, into the Tiber River, Mm -hmm. um, where the women were washing clothes. And the women who were washing the clothes there found that the mixture made them wash their clothes easier, and their things were coming out cleaner. Were they just using water before then? Yeah. Well, this is a legend. Oh, okay. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, this is a legend. They were like, oh, it's this mountain sapo makes our soap, makes it it cleaner. So we're going to call it soap. But there is no evidence that this place exists and that this ever happened. It's just a legend. Soap was first made by the Babylonians around 2800 BCE. 
Their soap was made from animal fats boiled with ashes. That part is true. Mm-hmm. We have recorded evidence of this on cylinders, which are a lot like vases. It's like okay. art pieces. Yeah. Soap was used to clean wool and cotton, used to make textiles, and was also used as a medicine. They did not use it for personal hygiene, but rather to clean their tools and mm-hmm. their utensils and things like that. The Mesopotamians also were likely producing soap around this time. An ancient Egyptian papyrus, the Ebers Papyrus, dated 1550 BCE, tells us that the ancient Egyptians mixed animal and vegetable oils with alkaline salts to produce something similar to soap. Mm. This was used to clean sores and other skin ailments. This is very common that the early uses of soap were for medicinal purposes. Yeah, old medicine always makes me like, yeah, kind of worried. According to Pliny the Elder, the Phoenicians used goat's tallow and ashes of a beech tree to make soap in 600 BCE, and the Gauls and the Romans also adopted this practice. A soap factory was actually discovered in the ruins of Pompeii when it was destroyed in 79 AD. Like a true factory in the sense that they were mass producing it. So we know that they had soap and then we knew that they were aware of it and we knew that it was popular. We know that it was a popular export. Yeah. Romans are famous for their public baths, but they also did not use soap for personal hygiene. It was used medicinally until later in the Roman Empire. So literally they were just bathing with like hot water and like oils. (laughs) Yeah. Middle Ages were gross. Like, it looks pretty, <laughs> but, like, or in ancient times, like, gross. The Celts used animal fats and plant ashes to create soap, and they named this project Xypho, which is where the word soap comes from. Okay. The Arabs also produced soap from vegetable oil, like olive oil or thyme oil. Their soaps were colored and perfumed, and some were even liquid, but not many. Mm. But they, I think, I believe they were the first people to color and perfume their soaps. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous soaps is the Aleppo soap, which in the soap community <laughs> is seen as the foundational soap for all modern types of soap. I had no idea that people were so passionate about soap until now, but they really are. I mean, I knew like soap maker, like soap making was like a hobby and that it was really hard and kind of actually dangerous because you're dealing with like hot oils and stuff. Yeah. But I didn't know that like it had that much of a like historical It has a community. community. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aleppo soap was first created in the Syrian city of Aleppo, which is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world, which I thought was really cool. It's been there for 8,000 years. I did one of those BuzzFeed, like, quiz games the other day where, like, you have a timed, a clock that's counting down and you have to name, like, as many of a thing as you can in that time. And I did one that was literally, like, name as many of the 25 most populated cities in america in like three minutes go and i did so badly i felt so dumb i feel like i'd really struggle i want to try it now uh i, I was doing that's literally like what i was doing last night when i just wasn't sleeping doing <laughs> <laughs> that quiz over and over did and over that again. quiz over and over again i did what it was like name as many of the u.s capitals as you can in like a few minutes it, it was, one of them was name as many countries as you can and i used to be pretty good at that one that's something that um our friend jenna and i did one time yeah um, during when we were snowed into our suite we did this one quiz that was like name as many countries as you can in two minutes yeah or something like that, that. would be really it, hard it was, it's hard because yeah. your brain goes blank like, yeah and it's crazy that this city is so old and i've never heard of it because yeah. like i learned white history <laughs> you know yeah. it's most famous for being the end of the silk road and the bridge between the east and the west For thousands of years, merchant families and manufacturers in this city created a highly prized soap known as the Aleppo soap. The formula and manufacturing still hasn't changed today. It's made the same way. 
The soap mixture is a mixture of olive oil, sweet bay oil, and water mixed with sodium hydroxide, which is then heated and left to cool. The soap is then cut from this hardened form and left to age in the shade for at Mm. least seven months. During this time, the soap turns from green to brown. Because it is natural and biodegradable, it's very famous and gained popularity quickly. It's been used to mask old age as a natural moisturizer, and it's so pure it could be used for washing babies safely. Aww. Yeah. We don't know exactly how old the soap is. The earliest written mentions of it date back to 8th century AD. During the Crusades, it was one of the most coveted trading commodities. And then because of this, its popularity, Castile, Castile, Castile soap, Castile soap, I think it's Castile. Castile but I think soap. I've, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Castile soap was created as a response to its popularity of the, mm. the popularity of the Aleppo soap. Aleppo soap gained the attention of Europeans on the Silk Road. The Crusaders brought caravans full of it back to Europe and it revolutionized public sanitation and personal hygiene, which had become important in the time of the plague. Oh. The first time people were like, hey, I think if we're cleaner, we're actually healthier. <laughs> Insane. Whoa, bold new idea. I know. And some people need to learn this lesson again. So here I am telling you, if you clean yourself, you're healthier. Congratulations. My brother. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shade. <gasps> my, I was just talking to my brother about how I think his apartment's kind of messy. And he was like, what do you mean? It's gotten so much better since the last time you were here. I bought a vacuum and a mop. I was like, wow. Wow. Did you buy soap? Did you buy <laughs> disinfectant? Like He only uses one form of soap, and that's the... um. What's that supernatural stuff that's like Dr. I want to say it's like Dr. Meyer, but I'm thinking of Mrs. Myers. Um, Why does he only use that kind? I don't know. He uses that as a shampoo, a body soap. Um, Wait. It's, it's like literally, literally the only same, product he uses. It's the same bottle, like all from the same bottle? Or yeah. it's like... Uh, Let me see if I can find out what it is. Um, wh- Wait. He uses the same product to clean his home as he uses to wash I don't his know, body. No, no, no. But like he uses it for all of his body... Gotcha. I wouldn't be shocked if he used it as a cleaner, but no, I mean, like, he uses it as a shampoo, like, he cleans his beard with it, he cleans his body with it, and every time I'm, like, I come home and we don't have shampoo or anything, he's like, what do you mean my shampoo's in there? You can use it. What is it called? I, we just, my family discovered it originally because, um... When I was little, my next door neighbor's son had built a cabin on this like island, like on a lake in mm-hmm. Maine. And we used to rent it for like a couple weeks and like go hang out there. And it didn't have clean water. Yeah. Like it had running water, but the water would come straight from the lake. Okay. Um, and we had an outhouse. It was the worst. Um, <laughs> but to bathe, um, we didn't want to pollute the lake so we got this like soap that you can use if you're bathing like in a natural body of water that's like natural and it won't harm the fish or anything yeah so that's when we first discovered it and he's used it like for everything ever since and i was like (laughs) what is it called i mean like that's good that it's natural but do we know how well that's the one thing i can't seem to find with like this type of soap i don't like like this it's great that it's natural but i don't know how well it actually cleans your body like i don't know about the like sanitation benefits yeah of it, i don't you know? love how it smells and i always feel like it never like i've used it as a body wash sometime and I've, I've never felt like i'm like oh i smell good and clean now i'm always like yeah. mm-hmm. oh it's dr bronner's pure castile soap oh yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. i'm okay. pretty sure yeah so castile soap yeah it's castile soap. it's the blue what's in the blue thing right 
Yeah, I feel like sometimes it's purple, but... Yeah, no, there are different types of them. Yeah, it's Castile stuff. Okay, so that's exactly what we're talking about. Good but, job, yeah, Jane. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but okay. I do remember noticing, like, reading on the side of it, it was literally like, you can use this to clean surfaces, you can clean it to clean your pets, you can use it, like, it, it had so many things yeah. that it can be used for. Yeah, so the Aleppo soap had, like, traveled up the Silk Road into Europe, and... The Europeans started producing their own soap in the Mediterranean because they were like, this Aleppo soap is amazing. And then it, uh, then the production spread because Muslim soap makers arrived in Spain and Italy in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. And European production took off in cities like Malaga, Castile, Naples, Bologna, and Venice, which became soap export centers. But the one that gained notoriety was the soap from Castile because mm-hmm. Castile soap, did in Castile they didn't have access to the laurel oil or sweet I think it's the same thing as sweet bay oil yeah um that was used in Aleppo soap but they had an abundance of olive oil so they used just a ton of olive oil in it and this made their soap pure white which people Mm. thought was really pretty but it was just as effective or it was still effective I don't know if it was equally as effective as Aleppo soap yeah like making it white didn't make anything better or worse right but it was still effective and the soap became popular with Spanish royalty because they thought it was beautiful Mm -hmm. and then later other royal houses of Europe by the 15 by the 1500s Castile soap was so popular that it was brought to England and England was the one that first exported it overseas Mm -hmm. so that's why it's so popular but it's been popular for like literally thousands of years and yes it is like a very pure natural soap biodegradable very safe for the environment and like they literally use yes it is true that they use that same soap for everything yeah so like you could use Castile soap to wash your body wash your hair but you would also use it to wash your counters wash your pets like you could watch literally anything with <laughs> yeah it. that's why it's so popular but again i don't know about it's like effectiveness the first thing it comes up is is castile soap a miracle product that you need to be buying so that's like where we get hard soap yeah. liquid soap however is a product of modern times um it was first patented by william shepherd in 1865 which Good for you coming up with something at the end of the Civil War. I don't know if he was an American or not, but, like, good job. Um, but would not gain popularity until 1898, over 30 years later, with the creation of palm olive soap by mm. B.J. Johnson. Um, his soap is made from palm oil and olive oil, and it became, like, so popular that it was unprecedented. Like, he could not make enough of it because it was that popular. Um, the soaps are still one of the most popular around the world, and he also came up with cleaning alternatives for clothes, counters, kitchens, and bathrooms. So palm olive soap was made specifically to be, like, your personal hygiene soap, and then it ended up spawning, being like, we could have different soaps for different things. Yeah. Instead of just a <laughs> all-in-one type of deal, you know? Modern chemistry has also led to the creation of shower gel, The main difference between liquid soaps and shower gels specifically is that shower gels don't contain saponified oil. Oh, what what is that? (laughs) Saponified oil is like olive oil, palm oil. Yeah, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it means that that it's not an oil drawn from a natural source. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. They instead use petroleum which um, and have numerous chemical ingredients that helps it cl- it clean the skin easier. So, like, yes, when you use shower gel, that does actually clean you easier than castile oil does. Um, but it la- and it lathers better in hard water areas. If I don't know if you've ever heard of hard water, soft water, but, like, New York has very hard water. Uh-huh. I have soft water in this house, you know. Yeah. Um, 
and this is easier in hard water. Um, it does not leave a mineral residue on the skin and the bathtub, which is a very common problem with hard with bars of soap, um, is the minerals. And they are in the balanced pH state. Mm. Shower gel, however, can cause the drying up of skin, so manufacturers will insert moisturizers into the recipe, including menthol, which is gives shower gel that different texture than you get from other liquid soaps. Yeah. That, like silky texture almost it's slippery yeah yeah that's the moisturizer great here's something i didn't know the majority of shower gels have conditioning agents and therefore are perfectly usable as both body wash soap and hair shampoo (gasps) now i knew that um what's that brand purity there's one brand that's like they come in the big big containers and they've always said oh this is body wash and shampoo and they have like create like i have one that's margarita scented they do one that's like holiday scented they're clear containers you get them at sephora i think Mm -hmm. it's purity is the brand they've always advertised those as body washes and shampoos but they don't work like i always feel really dry after i use them yeah i feel like there are things that can technically clean those things Mm -hmm. but like my hair has needs that my skin doesn't vice right. versa now it doesn't say that like it's also a conditioner so like you would use body wash body wash as shampoo but you would still need to condition Nation. most likely um because it's not ready for your hair follicles again i don't know about the actual like is it gonna be is it good for your hair i don't yeah. know because, <laughs> like what i'm saying is that it's in possible. a pinch yeah it is possible now one thing i wouldn't know how to check for is whether or not a body wash does actually have the conditioning agent in it you know Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know which ones specifically don't. Um, that's all I have about, like, the creation and, like, kind of science of soap. But before we finish, um, I do have some advice on soap versus hand sanitizer. Oh. And this is from the CDC. Because I've seen a lot of stuff, like, people just pumping the hand sanitizer. And I'm going to tell you why that's not the best. Mm. If you can, if you have the availability to wash your hands, wash your hands. If you don't, here's some facts about hand sanitizer. Um, first of all, if you're using hand sanitizer, make sure it's at least 60% alcohol. Hand sanitizer is about 60 to 95% alcohol. One, may not work equally well for all, for all types of germs. It's not guaranteed to kill all the germs. And two, they only reduce the growth of germs rather than kill them. Mm. Alcohol-based hand sanitizers can quickly reduce the number of microbes on hands and instead some situations eliminate them but they're not guaranteed to eliminate them and that's what you're trying to do you're trying to eliminate although alcohol-based hand sanitizers can inactivate many types of microbes very effectively when used correctly people may not use a large enough volume of the sanitizers or may wipe it off before it's dried Mm. so it's that you're not using enough and that you're getting it rid of it too quickly for it to actually do its job so there's just no sort of guarantee Many studies show that hand sanitizers work well in clinical settings like hospitals because hands come into contact with germs, but generally because doctors are so often sanitizing their hands and washing their hands, um, their hands aren't already soiled or greasy. It's like when germs come in contact with clean hands, then hand sanitizer can get off the germs pretty easily because they're not latching on to anything. Yeah. Um, Some data also shows that hand sanitizers may work well against certain germs on slightly soiled hands. Um, however, there has been enough to prove that hands that are very greasy or soiled because of being in community settings, um, and this is true for people who handle food, play sports, work in the garden, or go camping and fishing, 
um, the hand sanitizers are going to work. It's not going to be that same effect. So you can't just bring hand sanitizer with you when you're camping and be like, I'm cleaning my hands. That's yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. Um, if you're already yeah. sitting in a sanitized area and you touch something, sure, use the hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, like, it doesn't say anything about schools, but, like, at schools, you know, everything, kids are touching things all of the time. Yeah. So it's not really going to work to to sanitize your hands every time because things are getting pretty dirty, especially after a full day of kids playing with something or something like that. Yeah. Hand sanitizers might not remove harmful chemicals like pesticides and heavy metals from hands. So, again, if you're working outside, hand sanitizers can't get rid of pesticides, Mm. which is a big one. Um, And this is a big one. If you have hand sanitizer in a home with a child, make sure they do not have easy access to it because kids are more likely to ingest hand sanitizers that are brightly colored or scented, which has become Mm. very popular because they think it's like some sort of food or slime or whatever. Um, And that can actually cause alcohol poisoning. So um. definitely, you know, if you're getting hand sanitizer for your for your home, make sure that it's like clear. Does it look appetizing, <laughs> or like scented or fancy, or you're keeping it really out of out of reach of your kids? Yeah, especially really little ones, babies. Yeah, especially little babies. So that is everything I have about soap and sanitation. Thank you. You're very very welcome. I hope you guys learned something new. I hope this emphasized for you why it is important to wash your hands and stay clean. Wash them. Yeah. Even if you're listening to this right now and you haven't done it in a while. Yeah. I've also them. been like wiping down my phone a lot because I think yeah. I'm, like my hands are dirty and then I touch my phone yeah. and then my phone touches my face. All these things. All these things. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com. If you like what you're hearing, you can consider donating to us right through the link in the bio of this episode. It definitely helps us a lot because, like I said, we are both currently unemployed. Um, mm-hmm. So if you can support us, support local businesses, do what you can. Obviously, if you can't, we understand. But definitely do your part for your community right now. Um, and the option that's free to help us is that you can absolutely leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and that absolutely really helps as well. And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we will incorporate it into our show. Sarah. Yes. Do you know what I've been wondering? What? It's probably the only thing I don't know, considering <laughs> we've been together nonstop all this time. But well, I still can't read your thoughts. So. Your mother actually suggested this topic. Ooh. Uh, but there is a hospital in New York City called the Bellevue Hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's a very old hospital. It's very historically significant. They've done a lot of important work and different health crises. Mm-hmm. So tell me about them. Oh, cool. I love that. I love history. Yeah. I'm going to give you a fun one this week. Can't wait. Jane. Yeah. You know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I am, like, 90% sure that rosé grapes don't exist. (laughs) So I want to know how rosé is made. Boom, rosé. Sure. (laughs) One time I was drinking red wine and then Sarah was drinking white and she asked if I wanted to finish off her white wine because I was, like, done and she was about to go to bed. 
And I was like, sure. And so she poured her white wine into my glass that had like a drop of red wine left. And the liquid was totally pink. And she just went, boom, rosé. <laughs> I fixed it. I'm assuming that's how rosé is made. Yeah. Are you telling me it's not? <laughs> no, like I want to know because I love rosé. And we had a lovely bottle of rosé yesterday. Yeah. So I want to know about that. You know, of course. how's that made? A little yes. fun topic for you. Awesome. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This is, you know, what I've been wondering. <laughs>